Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, and I'm just your typical Spike. On the line with me, refreshed from a break, uh, and uh, really popping that nice warm vest look, my good buddy and producer extraordinaire, Cameron McCoy. Dude, what what is this thing? Are you... Wearing a life preserver, do you think you're going to drown? Yeah. You jump ship, kid? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, it, it's comfortable. It's warm. It's a little drafty in the house today. We haven't been running the heat super high, so we uh, we put on the layers here at the McCoy household. Nice. I, I think we put on the layers should be the uh, state motto for <laughs> Iowa. <laughs> it's, yeah, very true. <laughs> I know to a lot of our listeners, like the middle of America is all just this kind of same washed out group of states. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, you get past a certain point into Iowa and suddenly everyone starts dressing like a lumberjack. It's very, uh, you know, yeah. lumberjack might be strong. Lands end catalog kind of dress. <laughs> it's, right? it's shades of beige. We'll call it yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's cool. That's cool. Um, not... Missouri's definitely got its own set of style. We'll say that. <laughs> it's uh, slightly different. How do you feel about sleeveless shirts? You know? Um, I think we can all agree they're great. Uh, Party on. Yeah. Cameron, <laughs> tell me about you, man. You've been playing some Magic this week? A little bit. You know, uh, last week I took off um, since we didn't have a show. I didn't feel like I'm busy. You know, all those life things got in the way. So it was actually great to kind of take a step back and kind of completely forget about the meta for a, a little bit, and then come back uh, this weekend and play. Um, still playing the blue-white list. Um, I don't feel like there's anything new to report until those new cards come in, and then we can actually have a conversation about Arlen's Epiphany again. Um, just because, I don't know, man. I, I, you know, we're going to talk about some of the new cards coming out. And while there's certain things that do help with like mana denial or slowing down an opponent by a turn, maybe um, six or seven, it doesn't matter. You're casting your Arlen's Epiphany with those birds, and you're gonna win games, and you're gonna just upset your opponents. I am just at a point where I, I don't want to see any sort of card that allows me to take an additional turn. I just I am I am done with that mechanic. Um, for a while, I think, in standard. So I want to take you back on a journey, Cameron. Long ago, uh, in the, uh, I would say, the second generation of Magic players, like after we got out of Alpha, Beta, and Revised, mm. like kind of that post-period, the, you know, the fifth edition era on, they went a long period of time without printing Time Walks. Like, it, it was, or if they did, they had, like, incredibly horrible upsides or downsides like you lose the game after the extra turn <laughs> um so i think that was in mirage right final fortune anyway point being is uh you know often we like to complain about you know the elder days of magic and how people didn't know anything and you know we were always playing and but sometimes we like make mistakes that they were dodging and i would argue that the time walk effect is one of those things right mm -hmm. um that it is on its face, incredibly unfun. And look, it is unthinkable to me to roll up to a standard tournament without All Runs Epiphany as the current format is constructed. There is mm -hmm. no way I would not play an Epiphany deck. I, I mean, I think Mono Green's going to be a lot better. I think Aggro's going to be a lot better after the set, I guess, spoiler for us talking about Crimson Battle. Um, 
But still, but still, as long as that thing is legal, I am showing up with it. I'm going to make it work. It's just too strong with the way the current standard is constructed. We'll see what Crimson Vow does. Um, but, <laughs> excuse me, I just really think uh, we're kind of in that trap. Um, to me, it feels very, it's not nearly as bad as the agent of treachery summer that we had last year where it was like, I'm stealing your agent and then you steal mine. And it was just this back and forth game. It's not that bad, but I just feel like that is the thing that everybody is doing. And it's just iterations and variations on that. To your point of saying, like, if you're showing up to a tournament, this is really what you should be playing. Um, I just don't think it it's lending to... Uh, the like what is I think some really good cards in this standard I just feel like everything's kind of devolving into Alrin decks and it's a problem well right now the meta is basically you're either doing that or you're mono green yeah and I don't know that look again I'm a total homer for this standard format I'm about to explain why I do think those are the only two realistic choices if you're playing at a real high money event good news not many of those right like competitive magic is a a very real shell of its former self right and so i don't know that i'm going to be in a situation where i'm going to be playing in a ptq ever again so <laughs> there's there's that element to it too of like oh man this format is got some rough edges but how much is it really affecting me i mean you played paper standard were there a bunch of epiphany decks there whenever you played i mean this would have been like a couple weeks ago right yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say over half were Epiphany decks of some sort, right? So whether that's blue-red, blue-white, blue-green, X, you know I mean? Yeah, you're mm -hmm. you're seeing all of those. And then the other half, it felt like, were green. And then there's, like, you know, just that one dude going strong with mono-white. And that was about it. Yeah. He bought his Luminarch Aspirants, and he's going to get his money out of them, you're right? You're going to get your, yes, yeah. Um. And, like, he, here's my thing with this standard, because I want to say that I acknowledge all those problems, and I think they're very legit and very real, and I really, if we get through this first two weeks of Crimson Vow, and Epiphany decks are still doing what they're doing now, it's time to move on, mm -hmm. just for the health of the format. Uh, but, I have missed for so long the ability to sit down and have comfort food level standard. Now, we can go down this whole thing. I mean, really, it started with the, the Field of the Dead deck, right? Mm. And it, and it kind of went through four or five best decks. I mean, we could, you know, Oko, uh, the uh, Fires of Invention Agent or Treachery deck, the Omnath deck. Like, there's yeah. been four or five of those that were just so clearly above everything else. And they weren't, it didn't feel like I was playing Magic in the way that I like to. That actually coincided with, we've talked about, quarantine um, and kind of my professional world uh, going through a lot of turbulence. I don't think it's a surprise to say to anyone that education really went through the ringer. Mm. Uh, I, I mean, I feel bad even like saying it like that because certainly people have had it worse. And I'm not trying to minimize that. I'm just saying it was a rough moment for me on a professional level. And my escape has always been magic. And when magic was rough, it really led to this kind of feeling of not connecting to the game, right? Sure. And um, now I feel like I can just casually sit down, play Grixis Control, which is what I've been playing, and get a match in here and there, understand the matchup, understand what I need to do. And yeah, 
there's control, there's dragons, there's mono green, there's mono white. Like these decks are very much in the can. And if I were grinding it like super hard, I think I would be more annoyed. But I'm just happy that we're kind of there's a feeling of normalcy with this standard. Mm-hmm. And that's nice. Whereas, you know, with the Omnath deck specifically, or Fires, I guess, I felt like when I was, quote, doing my thing, I was almost sleepwalking. Like, it was just like, okay, do I do my thing before you? I've done my thing. Um, I've generated an obscene amount of mana. There's no way I can even misclick out of this. A lot of times my opponent scoops after my third or fourth landfall trigger. So, whatever, right? I would also say that me, and I don't know how you feel about this, me backing out of Historic has helped me feel more fresh with magic. Yeah. And I didn't expect that, but kind of the, the the chase of getting all the cards and all this and constantly trying to engage with Arena to try and like get on the treadmill to get the wild cards, to get all these. Once I kind of tapped out of that and just focused in on standard, it's made it feel more fresh. I 100% agree about that. Like... Uh... That chase game, like I, it, it felt like I, just unhealthy for me, and like, in a way that just I was not enjoying the game anymore. I was just kind of like on this almost like treadmill, and I hated it. Um, and thank God they started printing digital only because otherwise I'd probably still be in there chasing. And it's actually been I think beneficial for me. Um, I hope. You know, if other people are like that, it seems like it's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or just like, just to not feel like you have to get every single thing on arena, which definitely, and and this has come from a person that was doing that, right? Like, this is not me saying you, you fools, right? This was me going through that. And it just, it makes it more fun and fresh for me to sit down to arena and just focus on standard. I know, I know somebody's going to message me and say, look, then why don't you play MTG online? Because then you could liquidate your cards and blah, blah, blah. And I get it, right? And I'm not saying that Historic's fully dead to me. I think I played it like two weeks ago a little bit. But it's just like me, ch- I'm not chasing that meta. And as soon yep. as they decoupled it and said, hey, this is going to be a digital-only thing and not and separate from paper, it just really disincentivized me. And then all of a sudden, I was like, oh, okay. Okay, I can just focus on making this my standard training ground. Mm-hmm. Um, especially as I've entered this phase of, my my year my my uh, professional year where you know fall is always super tough for me i almost never have any of the fall set in paper um i always have to buy the sing like scurry to buy the singles in the spring mm-hmm. and uh yeah mm-hmm. so anyway grixis uh again what you said nothing new to say i actually think this deck is substantially worse than blue red at this point um meat hook meat hook massacre doesn't do enough against mm-hmm. mono green uh and Really, Burning Hands does most of what you want uh, the anti-green suite in your deck to do. So just kind of starting that in your blue-red deck, I think, is a little bit better. Um, but man, Grix is a lot of fun. And it's also, like, it, it kind of breaks the mirror, you know, pretty well if you're able to get some duresses going, right? So anyway, uh, on Grixis off of blue-black, it's much more like a Grixis control deck than a Grixis epiphany deck. But still playing epiphany. <laughs> oh, yeah. So... And my, my favorite card of the format continues to be Divide by Zero. That thing is my freaking jam, dude. It's, uh, it's a good one, yeah. Yeah. All right, hey, we're going to get out of this segment, talk about the apparent, I guess, fate of the SCG Tour, and <laughs> a few spoilers. We'll be right back. 
Cameron, before we get to a few spoilers and talking about just kind of Crimson Vow in general, I I do want to talk about this SCG tour. So they had their big SCG SCG tour convention where it's a big, massive tournament. It's in their uh, hometown in Roanoke, Virginia. They opted not to do coverage and kind of made some statement about how people don't really watch coverage anymore. Um, and look, SCG is a is like they do their thing, whatever. Uh, but I kind of wanted to like this kind of hit me a little bit hard because of how many weekends I would spend. Uh. With the SCG tour on in the background, watching matches while I was grading papers or whatever, d- dirtling around the house, and I mean now that's going to turn into flesh and blood coverage, I guess. But like, <laughs> I mean, what do you think, man? Well, it's a snake eating its own tail when they say nobody's watching coverage anymore because there's no tournaments. Well, if there's no tournaments, nobody's going to be watching. You know, it, it, like where does it end? I feel like they should have just went in with a bang. Like, here you go. We're going to do, you know, a little coverage or something because I totally agree. I don't watch the Pro Tour stuff. Like, I find that coverage just be a little too unfocused. We'll just say that. Whereas SCG, I thought, was the gold standard, um, Mm -hmm. is the gold standard. Um, And if you go back through those archives... um, you can learn so much. Like, I mean, I, that's how I learned how to properly play legacy was because of Sunday afternoons sitting there and watching these guys and girls play like high level legacy decks, high level legacy tournaments, you know? So it's a bummer if this is not going to continue in any form or fashion. Um, man, it hurts. It hurts a lot. Yeah. And Again, they know what their spreadsheet looks like, and I don't. So yeah. it's kind of yeah. a speculation to go, hey, this and this will work. I would argue that Wizards, them them not doing Pro Tour slash GP stuff is a little bit different because they need to promote the game, <laughs> you know? And yeah. th- like it is the best and easiest marketing, and they're just kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, whereas SCG, it's like, okay, they're a dealer, and if they feel like it's not making ends meet, then that's that. But it's hard not to acknowledge the impact that their every weekend stream had on people and wanting to play and wanting to go be recognized for their deck list and all those things, right? Yep. And there was a, what, five-year, six-year window of time where going to an SCG thing was a thing I had planned for. <laughs> And enjoyed. I, I worked oh, yeah. at one as a spot, as a spotter um, for camera coverage, and I love that. Um, I have played in multiples. I mean, not very well, but I've played in multiple yeah. and really enjoyed them. And a lot of times I side-tabled and had a blast. And there were moments where, during this where I was like, you know, broke, new dad, and I would just show up with like 50 bucks and like, let's see how far 50 bucks can get me in the side drafts, you know? Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of like memories and great times with friends that are tied up in these. Um, it, I, I just would love to know exactly what the bottom line is because it's hard for me to imagine that. You know, you look at these prize pads, they're paying out like a hundred grand total. Like you really can't get somebody to do coverage for, <laughs> I don't know, like mm-hmm. it just seems, it seems weird to me that you can't and that you wouldn't for the purposes of promotion i don't know like it, mm-hmm. 
it's very strange. Uh, and I mean, in the, in the last two years, how many people have gotten like so good at streaming and webcams and everything? Like, you're not telling me you can't get three Logitechs and just put it through some sort of switcher that you got during the pandemic and <laughs> I mean yeah. it doesn't need to be great I mean I, I would really like to have Pat Sullivan or yeah, yeah uh, Cedric and, and Pat you know but yeah. uh whatever yeah <laughs> yeah and um which by the way if you do need doses of them do you know that they have a podcast together where they go back oh, yeah. in time and review yeah. old magic yeah Seth, it's good it's good yeah, yeah it's very good but yeah I just I don't know if like it, it's an end of an era I hope they pick it back up at some point um, but like, I can stream Flesh and Blood this weekend, U.S. Nationals, and I can't do that with Magic: The Gathering, and that is just completely bonkers to me. That's my uh, long. Yeah. So anyway, Cameron, there are some cards from Crimson Val. Um, I think there's some notable reprints: Mulch, Syncopate, but most interestingly to me is Thalia, Guardian of Thraben, which. Full disclosure is the current wallpaper on my desktop as I'm speaking to you. <laughs> so I'm a little bit of a homer. Uh, what do you think about that reprint, dude? Uh, I mean, it's great. I, I'm glad to see it in standard. Um, does this now mean it's in Pioneer? It's not been in Pioneer, right? I think that's true, yeah. Yeah, so that's welcome, in my opinion, to have this in Pioneer. Um, yeah. As far as what her impact is going to have on standard, as I said um, before, you know, I mean, yeah, it's going to slow down the control decks here and there. It might slow down what the blue red epiphany thing is doing by a turn, but we're also talking about Goldspan Dragon doesn't care about Thalia, right? Right. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting to see how she fits. But I do believe that the whatever the mono white deck is, there could be a version of a Death and Taxes that is pretty decent, especially with something like Thalia. If if Standard were to get a little bit lower to the ground, I think like she's gonna be a shoo-in. Yeah, she also pairs nicely with Elite Spellbinder and Redain, which was in um uh Kaldheim. So there's like mm. these other quasi-taxation things happening um i will say this because she is entering into probably the most uh difficult standard that she's ever entered and by the way first time around didn't see a ton of play in standard right it was much more of a a older format card that being said you'd be hard pressed to come up with a creature that has done more across the history of magic that is this underrated like we're talking about two entire legacy archetypes are propped up by this card mm, and mm -hmm. and modern like it, it is an incredibly underrated <laughs> like <laughs> card in terms of what it's accomplished over the course of its career and so it's just like you know underappreciating and underrating underestimating it we just need to maybe say that those things are happening does this stop mm. the epiphany deck no does it make mono white actually have a chance against it probably <laughs> yeah uh, where I would say it didn't before. Okay, so there are, is a whole cycle of cemetery mythics, and most of them are tournament playable cards. I would say before we get into this, what the heck are these doing at Mythic? It's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but why don't you read for a cemetery prowler? 
Yeah, to that point, I just feel like they want to drain my mythic uh, wild cards even faster, right? Yeah. Are you kidding, Cameron? This is they want. This is obviously clearly a mythic. By any parameters that have been set before, <laughs> yeah, I have no yeah. idea. Bulk rare. Here we go. <laughs> right, uh, cemetery Prowler costs one green green. It's a wolf creature with vigilance. Whenever Cemetery Prowler enters the battlefield or attack or attacks, exile a card from a graveyard. Spells you cast cost one less to cast for each card type they share with exiled with the cards exiled by Cemetery Prowler. Um, man, this has. I, I like this card a lot. Um, I don't know if it will be in specifically the the mono green deck or not, but like on its face, this with like a blue green or bant style deck, um, I really like the idea of you know netting your cost a little bit better or whatever. So maybe this is actually in like that death and taxes style deck or something like that, I, where mana denial and then you're also kind of netting yourself something so i don't know there, there's definitely potential with this on top of just a three four big bootied body which is pretty good yeah so i think there are standards in the past where this thing would be a slam dunk um the problem that this thing has is epiphany is still easily over the top of it and not that much of a problem but i would argue that you could even te- like get rid of the bottom paragraph and there have been standards where this would have been more than fine yeah um <laughs> So, what's weird is this feels like a mid-range mirror breaker, and you just aren't in mid-range mirrors. Um, maybe if we're both on mono green, you would want this card, but I don't think so. Mm. Um, and so, it's a strange one in that the effect is good. Um, this is a good card that could see play down the line. But we're going to say this a lot. If you can go over the top of it, it is like a poster child for the car- kind of card that just gets tore up. Like, tore yeah. up by, you know, not just, like, a card like Epiphany, but a thing like Ugin or Karn or, you know, this three-mana, three-four Vigilance that doesn't do anything when it comes into play. So, I think this card is is very good. I just, I worry that it's entering into a very hostile environment, right? Yeah. Um, which, by the way, it just does also seem clear to me that, like, they seem to think the uh, flashback cards are much scarier than they are. Like, this seems like it's, like, targeting, like, things like Memory Deluge or, like, the uh, the creatures that come back with uh, Disturbed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, not so much. Like, those yeah. things are kind of, like... <laughs> A little value add, but not... Yeah. Right? Um, all right, so I'm actually going to s- skip down to Cemetery Gatekeeper because I should have put those two together. Sure. Um, another Mythic. Is it Legendary? No. Um, so just cemetery gatekeeper, one in a red for a creature vampire with first strike two one. Um, when it enters the graveyard, exile a card from a graveyard. Okay. <clears throat> Whenever a player plays a land or casts a spell, if it shares card type with the exiled card, cemetery gatekeeper deals two damage to that player. Um, I I mean, cool if you get a land with this thing. Uh, I'm very very hesitant about this card i think it is cool it's a cool like riff on eidolon um Mm -hmm. and when you lose to it it's gonna feel real bad uh, especially if you lose to multiples that being said the body leaves we'll say a little bit to be desired here 
Uh, and as I said before, there's a few spike field hazards in the format. Basically, if you're playing red, you've got you've got those in your back pocket. Um, what do you think of this thing, man? Yeah, I mean it. It's good. I mean, like a two-one first strike on itself. Once again, we it's Stalia, right? Like that is very, very, very good. Especially if we have a low to the ground goblins sort of deck or whatever. I feel like this can fit in. And then the added bonus of just whatever you're getting exiled against. I, I, there's something there where, cool, you're, you're netting some advantage for yourself. So it's good. It just feels like it might be a little too corner Casey um, right now. And I could be completely wrong, but I just feel like it's not... Okay, cool, I'm shocking you every once in a while, but it's not the thing that's going to define this deck, maybe. Or define whatever deck this is going to fit in for mono red or red white or whatever. Yeah, and I I think like when people are like oh man this shuts down Epiphany and it's kind of like, well you, they have to have an instant in the yard whenever mm-hmm. you you know what I mean and it has to like all work out and so that's what's kind of scary to me is th- there are situations where this just actually does nothing and you kind of have to be aware of that and whenever you're against mono green like this card is an embarrassment. Like, what do you do? Yeah. I've got my Kazadu Mammoth, and you've got a 2-1 dude that you exiled. <laughs> like, cool. Hey, here's my chariot, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. All right, Cameron, why don't you read for us Soren the Mirthless? I also, I uh, I went ahead and leaked, uh, linked the version with the Castlevania artist style art. Um, that seems appropriate. That is a good-looking Magic the Gathering card. Can we talk? Yeah, dude. It's sharp-looking. I like that. Anyway, uh, go ahead and read, her, read him for us. There we go. Uh, legendary Planeswalker Soren that costs two colorless black black. Has a loyalty starting out at four. Plus one, look at the top card of your library. You may reveal that card and put it into your hand. If you do, you lose life equal to its mana value. Minus two, create a two three uh, vampire creature token with flying and lifelink. And then minus seven, Soren deals 13 damage to any target. You gain 13 life. Um... <clears throat> I I, uh, I I like this card. Um, black, white, whatever, you know, like there's so many ways to life gain and then just netting yourself like an additional card, you know, when this thing enters is not nothing. So, I, I mean, I like that a lot. Um, it, it's, it's just so classically a Sorn card where like you're going to see a if this fits in a mono black or a black white deck you'll see a two or a three of and it's going to you know do its thing and it's going to do it well yeah i'm i'm hopeful that this is the kind of thing that sees play post epiphany banning <laughs> yeah uh because it kind of feel, fulfills that cuz like there is liliana there is loth uh soren could also be a what you would consider a classically black blue or esper style planeswalker mm-hmm. um the vampire nighthawk minus two doesn't create a death touch creature which is you know kind of a whenever i first looked at this card i, I thought it, that's it was straight up creating a vampire nighthawk mm-hmm. and it doesn't like missing death touch is actually kind of a huge problem uh but the um the dark competent ability the your ability to actually make that a choice we don't usually see. Usually yeah. you have to blind flip it. And so that's why I think this card is notable is in a control shell or maybe just a vampire shell. But this actually, 
only it's not like the previous storm which was very clearly a vampire lord planeswalker um but just a plus one and have the option in control i might be quite good yeah right so yeah anyway i'm interested i'm interested but i'm not like over the moon um all right cameron i just want to bring up this last one just as a lull uh alchemist gambit okay have you seen the cleave mechanic no oh dude so basically um it <laughs> what it does is when you pay the cleave cost you have to remove punctuation they did this instead of just doing kicker or a split card or whatever. Yeah. You have to remove the stupid brat. Like, it is crazy. Um, <laughs> it's like, hey, what if we did the exact same mechanic, but just made it confusing? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. So, anyway. <laughs> it is one red red. Take an extra turn after this one. During that turn, damage can't pre- be prevented. At the beginning of that turn's end step, you may l- you lose the game. Exile this card. If you pay seven for blue, blue, red, then you don't have the lose game clause. So welcome uh, time walk number five or whatever, if you, want right. it, <laughs> if you want it. If you're in the market for that kind of thing. Um, though I would suspect people are just going to keep using that copy spell instead. Uh, yeah. It's a little more versatile, but you, we were just talking about how no more time walks, please, and Watsy just straight up prints another one. I thought you'd be excited. I am so excited. I can't wait to just be time walked to oblivion, and then this one just you know wins them the game or whatever. Oh man, dude, I don't know. Like, can we stop, please? <laughs> can we just stop with this nonsense? Yeah. Yes. No more. Okay. Let's get out of the segment, come back, and talk about what we've been watching and playing. We'll be right back. All right, Cameron, let's start with you. What is Black Rain? I I didn't know what Black Rain was until last week when a co-worker told me about it uh, and was over the moon on it. And so we gave it a shot and watched it, and it is incredible. It is a 1980s action film directed by Ridley Scott. And this was like his movie that kind of brought him back from um, exile after Blade Runner. Because, like, you know, Blade Runner, while hugely influential and very, very important, was a financial flop. And I think it really blacklisted him for a while as a director. Well, he came back and made this Black Rain movie, which stars Andy Garcia, Michael Douglas. Uh, um, gosh, Ken Takakura and just a whole slew of like great Asian um, actors um, from that era. And why this is so interesting is it's a, you know, an 80s action film, but it feels like a neo-noir film um, that is just oozes oozes production design like if you thought like Blade Runner like and how like all that production design and the sets they used was incredible this amps it up where it's like no this is just real Tokyo in the 1980s and the the lighting the cinematography the production design the overall mood and aesthetic of it just oozes cool 
um, where like I feel like this movie is more influential for things like cyberpunk, uh, things like um, it, it just has such a very unique aesthetic that I don't think American audiences were ready for or had ever seen until Ridley Scott kind of introduced it. I mean, there's, you know, samurai swords with motorcycles, Michael Douglas being kind of this hard-boiled detective or cop. It, it It's just, it's all over the map. It's so weird. And I, I am over the moon excited about this movie because I didn't know it existed and then watching it and I just like, it, it combined three genres that I just absolutely love into this amazing film dude dude i um didn't know what this was and then i clicked on it and it took me exactly to i could tell you at my local small town home video store where this was on the shelf i've seen the cover of this movie i've never seen the movie but i've seen this cover so many times just like I've seen the cover to all the Van Damme movies and Steven Seagal movies, like yeah, that stuff is like burned into my brain. Did I tell you I rewatched Under Siege recently? I didn't know that, but good for you. Yeah, <laughs> uh, this has probably aged better. Um, Cameron, I can't, have we ever talked about Succession? Uh, I don't know. I love the show. Okay, so I started it and I liked it, and then we got HBO Max for Dune. So now I'm just trying to like rapid fire get through it. And because I spent a lot of time like, you know, basically super tired coming back home from these kind of long days at work. So instead of playing a game, I just have been watching Succession. And boy, do I have mixed feelings about this show. Mm, Okay. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I want to get this off my chest. I don't know how are are you. Are you like you've watched it all? You're like currently completely clawed up. And Uh, yep. Okay. So I'm like towards the end of season one. So just to give you an idea. Okay. Performances and the writing in this show are unbelievable. And it's almost entirely worth watching for that. Mm-hmm. However, it's such a weird experiment in a show where you are watching this show that's very well made and very well produced. Not only are these bad people, they are, every single one of them, <laughs> incredibly unlikable. Like, I don't want... I'm not rooting for anyone. You know, like, it's kind of amazing that that's, like, almost the thesis of the show. And even other shows, like, I mean, I know you haven't gotten far in Expanse, but there are are people that are not good people that you kind of find yourself rooting for. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. My favorite film of all time is L.A. Confidential. And in that show, in that movie... There are some people that are bad people that have decided to do the right thing, right? Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. kind of an enjoyable thing that you you watch and kind of play out. I think that's a very typical plot thing. Um, some even like you know Gaius Baltar in uh, Battlestar Galactica, terrible human being, but you always kind of want him to get away with it. You know, you kind of mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you kind of in on it. It's a lot of fun. These people are so incredibly irre- irredeemable. And like, and not even like one of them might be okay. No, no, no. (laughs) And to go kind of all in on that, I kind of like admire the show Mm -hmm. on that level. But then I also have this, and again, I'm not nearly as far as you are. Clearly this is a riff on the Murdoch family. Like clearly. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how much of it is like if you were a person that 
didn't understand the satire of it, if you saw some of this stuff that happens in this show and going, yeah, this is awesome. These people are awesome, right? <laughs> kind of like the kind of like the Mr. Bigot study, right? Like you just right? kind of yeah. like yeah. people would watch this and go, man, these people are so cool and so awesome and they don't really realize that like what they're doing is actually functionally terrible. And I don't know if any of this is making sense without like me giving away plot points. <laughs> it is, I think. Yeah. 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 And so you kind of watch this like because, look, you and I both went to school for broadcasting like you still work in television uh, and it's kind of hard to watch this thing where it's kind of maybe not here like making a hero out of but basically it's taking these people that have destroyed this industry, this business. And it kind of puts them on a pedestal, and mm. it's meant to lampoon them, but I don't know that it, I find it always to be doing that. And it's kind of a rough sit whenever mm-hmm. you're watching that happen. So um, that being said, I can't stop watching it, and yeah. I want to keep seeing what's happening. Is is what, What's your thoughts on the show as a whole, man? It's, I 100% agree. Casting, dialogue, writing in that show are just... So good. It's the anti West Wing in like every single way, like where West Wing really is propping up like this ideal of like, look what we can do. Uh, This is the literal opposite. And these people are trash and garbage. Um, And like you, I can't stop watching it. I can only say like, I feel like it, it feels kind of like something like King Lear, you know, like these Shakespeare tragedies where it's like, Listen, there's like maybe two good people in King Lear. Everybody's awful. Um, they're all vying for the succession of of his throne or whatever. Um, and so in that sense, <clears throat> I guess I'm okay with what it's trying to do. Um, and that's the risk I think you're going to do with any satire is that there's going to be people who think it's the opposite of satire. And like you should be celebrating these people rather than scathingly critical of them. Um I don't know, man. I, I mean, and like, even when the characters in like the later in the seasons, when you think they're doing something reputable, oh no, it's completely self-serving. Um, and like on the surface, it might look reputable, but it's like no, they're still just awful, self-serving people that are destroying the destroying the fabric of society. And I love it. <laughs> yeah. And, well, and it is, there is a lot of like laugh out loud stuff. Like it is the yeah. thing that we're not talking about is it's a really funny show. Yeah. Like there are moments where there's, they're kind of <laughs> pratfalls for lack of a better term. Some of the yeah. stuff that they get into is so incredibly stupid and hilarious yeah. that it's funny, right? It's a, like, I laugh at this show a lot. Um, there's a specifically a relationship of two characters, Tom and Greg, that I think is maybe one of the funniest <laughs> yeah. things that I've ever seen on TV. Like, it is really, really funny. Uh, obviously, the show is, like, super foul and super HBO and all those things. Um, but, it, it, like I said, I always have these reservations about the show. Like, my wife was like, should I watch it? I was like absolutely not <laughs> she couldn't even stand it's always sunny in philadelphia she thought those people were too rough i'm like okay. this is <laughs> this is off the deep end then dear this is like on another in another galaxy yeah from it's always yeah. sunny in philadelphia um but yeah like anyway it, it's it's such a confusing <laughs> feeling watch to watch this and be like 
this is Downton Abbey, only set in modern day, and everyone is terrible. <laughs> right? Yep. So, but anyway, I, I, I'm sure I'm saying nothing new about this show. I'll, I'll see what I, what I think whenever it's done. But it's definitely leveled out. And I, to your point, I don't know that I'll ever be trapped into thinking anybody's doing the right thing. Like, we've reached the point in the show where I'm like, I, I've lost faith in all of them like yeah. by quite a bit. So anyway, Cameron, if someone would like to talk to you about keeping up to date on uh, Succession, where could they find you? That's all on Twitter, at Cameron underscore McCoy. And I'm at Curtis Now. Our official show feed is at Spike Beat MTG. We'll check you guys next week. <laughs>